describe themselves, like they put a name on themselves, like we call ourselves Americans. But some groups have laid a name on themselves, in fact, many of them, that means something like people, okay, that's pretty generic, or us, we, this group. But what's interesting is how they've labeled groups that are apart from them, other people groups that surround them, things like less or not or them, okay, outsiders or even not people. Now, it sort of betrays how we think about groups that we don't know or people that we don't know, how we think about people who are not on the inside, who are not with us. Well, what are they like? And sometimes we just slap those labels on people. In fact, we tell our kids that, right? We say, what? Stranger danger, right? If we don't know someone, we don't know if they're a danger to us. We don't know if they are a potential enemy. So we label them to keep ourselves from being harmed. It's just a natural human instinct. The problem is sometimes once we put that label on another group of people, if that label communicates that they are less than human, subhuman, less than us, we can justify treating them all kinds of different ways, right? In fact, we see that at work throughout human history. How if a group is less than, then they can be treated less than. Doesn't take long to see that at work. If people from another continent and another skin color are seen as subhuman, then they can be enslaved and treated however we want to treat them. If a certain group in Europe and everyone decides that this group is less than, they are not human, maybe they're the cause of our troubles, then we can exterminate them. That's happened more than once. It's justifying behavior because if this group of people is not human, less than human, we can do whatever we want. At least that's what we say. Hate works in a similar way. We've been talking about that all through the month of February, about how we overcome hate in our lives and how it really can be present. We bring that to a close today, but hate can work in a similar way. If someone has done something to me or a group of people have done something to my group that justifies my hate, at least I think it does, then it also justifies me treating them as less than the way I would treat other people in my group. Less than people I know. Less than I deserve to be treated. So how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that kind of hate? How do we deal with it when we see people who are actively opposing who we are, who are making, even intentionally, our lives more difficult, either as a group or as individuals, we are led to hate. How do we overcome it? Well, this is something that's been going on throughout human history and certainly was going on in scriptural times. And so I want us to take a look at something that Jesus says that I think helps us with this as we bring this series to a close. Now, we've, we've already looked at a couple passages from Matthew, one from the Sermon on the Mount. And so today I want us to turn back to the Sermon on the Mount. The first chapter, the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In Matthew 5, Jesus keeps saying, you have heard that it was said, and then he quotes something from what we call the Old Testament, what they would have called the Scriptures or the Bible, because it's all the Bible they had, right? And then he says, but I say. Or he quotes something from tradition, and he says, but I say, and then he explains it. Well, we see that at work in this passage today, and it begins in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said... Love your neighbor 
and hate your enemy. Say, okay, we've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Where is that in the Bible? Is Jesus quoting the Bible? And in fact, if we look at the first half of that, well, that's pretty easy to find. Love your neighbor, okay? That's carried over from the Old Testament. We find it in Leviticus 19, verse 18. We've talked about this before because it feeds into how we understand ourselves and our mission of loving God and loving others. And this is the basis for some of that. Leviticus 19, way back in the Old Testament, near the beginning, in the law, it says this, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And even as we read that passage, read where that comes from, it says among your people, and it communicates how they would have seen their neighbors. Their neighbors were their people. Okay? That, that's the people I know. That's the people who speak my language, worship the God that I worship in the way I worship Him. This is my people. My people are my neighbors. And so Scripture does clearly say, love your neighbor. And this would have been quoted by the people Jesus was teaching that day, and we even quote it today. In fact, if we look at at uh, our culture, we know that this is one of the most quoted verses from Scripture. Christianity is known for this statement, love your neighbor. But what about this, hate your enemies? Boy, that's one we sort of wish was in there, don't we? Wouldn't it be easier if we could just hate our enemies, right? I mean, people who are nasty to us, people who have made our lives miserable, people who oppose us and what we stand for, wouldn't it be easier if we could just hate them and not feel bad about it? Not fight it? But that never really shows up in Scripture. There are some passages that deal in the Old Testament with outsiders and how you deal with those who worship idols and try to draw the people away from the one true God, but it never says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But what Jesus knew was that this was the way the people operated. And this was some of the teaching that they heard. That it was really easy for them to love their neighbors, their fellow Jews, Israelites, people who worshiped the same God and spoke the same language. But then there's the outsiders. When they heard enemies, they would have thought of outsiders, the people who have over the centuries come in and tried to take their land and their flocks and their cattle and their children and carry them off and steal their land. Man, it's easy to hate those people, right? And the ones they would have thought of in that moment would have been the Romans because the Romans were the ones who came in, took over their land, taxed them mercilessly. Brutal justice that they received from the Romans. Man, it's easy to hate that kind of people. And so this would have been familiar. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But it never shows up in Scripture. Not that second part. But it was the way they operated. And then Jesus says this, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Oh, Jesus, now you come in and mess up this good system, right? 
We had it all figured out. Love the insiders, hate the outsiders. Love the ones that look like us, hate the ones that don't. Love the ones that think like us and talk like us and are nice to us and care for us and hate the ones who don't. And now Jesus comes in and says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we say, Jesus, I don't, I don't really know. How do I love my enemies? I mean, if love is this warm feeling that we have inside that we feel really good about another person, care and concern and all that, how do I, how do I muster up that feeling of love for someone who has actively opposed me or made life difficult for me? How do I have that feeling of love for someone who's like that in the same way I do for a friend or a family member or a child or a parent or a spouse? And the answer is, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Sometimes love is not a feeling. Sometimes love is a decision. Where we make the decision, I'm going to show kindness and compassion to someone who doesn't deserve it. I'm going to show love where it is undeserved. And the example of that is to pray for your enemies. Love, those, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, those who make your life difficult, those who make it harder for you. Pray for them. And we want to say, I've got a prayer for them, right? I'm going to pray that God smites them with a plague of boils on their backside. I can pray for that real easy. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Maybe Jesus is talking about a prayer that their hearts would be softened they would embrace him, they would come to faith, and even that they would be blessed, as hard as those prayers can be. Jesus never said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you because it's so easy to do. But Jesus knew it wasn't, and yet he called us to do just that. It's not a natural thing. But then he gives us some motivation, verse 45. So, pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We're supposed to love our enemies so that we're right with God. Somehow to earn this relationship with God. No, again, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is saying this. We have been adopted into a new family. We have been adopted by the king. We have been called to be God's children. And if we are God's children, we will reflect the character of the father. And God is a God who loves those who stand opposed to him. God is a God who loves those who may have declared themselves to be his enemy. And in fact, that includes us. We see it at work over in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
We were standing opposed to God. We were choosing sin over God. We were saying, I would rather follow my way than God's way because I think I know better and I make myself happier than God makes me, so I'm going to follow my path. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Undeserved, unearned. You see, God chooses to love those who choose to be his enemy. And if we're going to be in the same character as the Father, if we're going to follow God's example, then we too will love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. As hard as it can be. And then Jesus makes the point, well, you know what? It'd be easy if we just love those who love us, right? Verse 46 If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? The ones who don't even care about the law, don't even care about God, they they like the people who like them. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? It's easy to love people who like you. It's easy to love people who are kind to you and compassionate. It's easy to love people who love you. Jesus says, big deal. The challenge, the God kind of love, is making the decision to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. And so Jesus' message to us is to choose love even when it's the hard choice. Even when it's the costly choice, even when it's not what we feel like doing, what we want to do, we choose love even when it's the hard choice, when it's our enemies. And I think this operates on a couple different levels. It operates on an interpersonal level, right? It operates on me and this person who is really making life difficult. And we could name that person in our head, or maybe several of them, who, man, it just seems like over and over, why do they act this way? And yet they do, okay? What they're doing is making my life unhappy. And yet I'm called to choose love, even though it's the hard choice, I'm called to love them. I'm called to pray for them. I'm called to show kindness and compassion. Do they deserve it? No. I didn't deserve Christ's death on the cross either. And yet he did it. So it works on that level, that it overcomes the hate that really robs us of our humanity and robs the other person of their humanity. Instead, we restore all that By choosing love. But it also operates on a larger level. I mean, it's easy to look around in our culture and say there are groups that, man, they stand against everything I believe in. They stand against my faith and my politics. They stand against what I believe is ethically right and wrong. And it's easy to hate that. They're out there, and my people are in here, and it's easy to hate. And Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Too many times in our world, Christians are known not for love, but for hate. And it's usually the extremes, right? It's usually the extremes of people who are 
screaming insults and calling people terrible names and then promoting Jesus. But it happens. And it's seen as hate because it is hate. We're called to be a people who choose love over hate. Who choose to love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. And for many followers of Jesus, this would become all too real even in the first century. There would be those who stood against Christians, who persecuted Christians, who killed Christians. Jesus didn't say this lightly. And the early disciples didn't follow it lightly. This was serious business. And yet it's exactly what Jesus called them and us to do. Because you see, the cycle of hate is powerful. Someone does something to me, and I respond in hate. What does that make them do? Respond in hate as well. It just gets worse and worse and worse as the cycle progresses. And Jesus is saying, break it now. Does that person deserve your love? Probably not. Did we deserve God's love? No. But it was shown anyway. And we're called to follow the example of the Father, to follow that same kind of character that God had. So, as we bring this series of lessons that I've called Love, Hate to a close, what's been working on you? What faces and what names pop into your mind, maybe even if you don't want them to? Because of things that someone has done or said, you can feel that hate welling up within you. Maybe you don't want to talk about it. Maybe you wouldn't admit it if somebody asked, but it's there. How can you choose to overcome the power of this cycle of hate with the same kind of love that God showed to you when you didn't deserve it? Choose love, even when it's the hard choice. Let's pray together. God, we're so thankful that love is more powerful than hate because you stand behind love. And God, we're thankful that you loved us when we didn't deserve it. God, we pray that you help us to overcome the power of hate at work in our lives and that we would choose love in the same way that you chose to love us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to encourage you to choose the love that God has given to you. And maybe you made the decision that you want to follow Jesus Christ. You want to put your faith in him and be baptized into him. If you've made that decision, we'd love to walk with you on that journey. Let us know. Come forward as we stand and sing our invitation. Let's stand together.